0: Hey everyone, just a reminder that we are recording remotely while we're quarantined. Uh, So the sound might be slightly compromised, but hopefully not too bad. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique. A podcast where we process politics sex and the unrelenting fire hose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens each week we'll begin by venting about the news go deep on one important issue call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called we see you and then we'll end with something hopeful and a reminder if you're enjoying us to follow us to like us to rate and review, subscribe. Um, an example of a review that we, we enjoyed was from Thursday's Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. It's titled Funny, Smart, Eye-Opening. What a stellar podcast. These two are excellent. Getting the perspective from these two women is excellent. <laughs> the show is not only smart, topical, and powerful, but at the same time, they keep it funny. This is something where you can get very serious topics, things that are affecting women everywhere, and learn but still laugh at the same time. How lovely. I highly recommend this podcast to learn more, have a great time and enjoy two great podcasters. (laughs) Love to hear it. Thanks. Thursday Thunderdome. Thanks Thursday
0: Thunderdome. We appreciate you and everyone who takes the time to, um,
1: write us a review give us five stars on apple podcasts that really helps love it you know and if you have constructive criticism we can let us know you don't necessarily have to give us one star review but that's your journey that's your choice <laughs> not here to censor okay
0: yeah we're we are not we aren't um you could email us at feminist at gmail.com if you have you know questions concerns comments
1: and we certainly have gotten some emails that are of that tenor Yes. And we enjoy that. Um, but uh, yeah, from the top, I mean, the the news is not um, it's not great. It's not surprising. Um, but so, we, of course, last week there was a a black army medic who was uh, pulled over, uh, pulled over into a, a gas station, a well-lit gas station and a police officer who was actually fired um, because of it like pulls him over and ends up pepper spraying him is telling him to you know follow his instructions but the instructions he was giving conflicted with one another you know he was saying keep your hands up and unbuckle your seatbelt and get out of the car you can't do both those things
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: you know the man um mr nazario was was saying you know i am afraid to get out of the car which I think is <laughs> reasonable because if they said, well, I told him to keep his hands up and then he got out of the car. So I shot him, you know, is not unreasonable. Yeah. Um, sprayed it really. And I, I mean, I think a lot of people seeing that it was an army medic in uniform on top of it mm-hmm. um, supposed to show that it, it doesn't, if you're, you know, a black person in this country, it doesn't matter you know it's like maybe if you'd been a uniform police officer on the same force but other than that there's really nothing um that anyone can do and and on that note even no matter how they he was dressed just like people who are raped it doesn't matter what you're wearing you don't deserve to be violently assaulted um by police officers who theoretically are supposed to be serving and protecting mm-hmm. but reality are just um often on power trips, committing evil, heinous acts of violence. Yeah. That was last week in Virginia. And then the latest in Minnesota, I think it was 10 miles um, from where the Derek Chauvin hearings are. Yeah, something like that. Um, A 20-year-old, Dante Wright, was pulled over, over an air freshener. They found that there were, you know, some warrants out. And this officer, Kim Potter shot him and he died um she murdered him and she says she thought it was a taser um all which you know goes to say why are you tasing him uh, even in the first place but also if you can't if you don't know the difference between a gun and a taser i saw someone tweet something like if you don't know the difference between aspirin and fentanyl you probably shouldn't be a pharmacist mm-hmm. if you don't know the difference between your gun and your taser that's uh big red flag they weigh very different things you are supposed to be wearing them on different hips Um, but either way it's just another heartbreaking fucking senseless act of violence and murder at the hands of police officers
0: yeah and when people say well what were they supposed to do just like let him run away it's like yes (laughs) yeah I mean if you can't get someone who, okay, there are warrants out for his arrest. They were for, to my understanding, small, they were for misdemeanors. Um, So he had, um, you know, they were misdemeanors. Uh, Nothing warrants killing someone. This didn't even warrant tasering them. Um, His um, child and partner were in the car, as I think. Um, And it's so disturbing i mean i only listened to like part of the body cam footage which is harrowing um because the woman says taser 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 the 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 kim potter the police officer or someone saying taser 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 and then she shoots him in the chest and then she says i shot oh i, I shot him and she is a seasoned police officer she had 26 years of experience under her belt um that's incredibly disturbing to me. Um, it's been pointed out um, from, I forget what they, the police justice project or um, Sam Sinyangwe posted on Twitter. He's a, he's a data scientist. Um, when you look at the data for um, how the 11, 1,127 police killings in 2020 began, You know, 94 people were killed after a, um, a call that was for a mental illness slash welfare check. 121 people were killed at traffic stops. 188 people were killed for, um, calls that were nonviolent domestic disturbance. Um, 58% of these killings begin when police respond to nonviolent incidents. This is in 2020. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're only looking at 100 people. I mean, only, again, smaller for people who are have a weapon. So 100 people were killed in police encounters where there was a person with a weapon to begin with. And 277 people were killed um, when police were called for, for a violent crime um, or a crime against uh, people. So, and then there's 71%, I mean, 71 people for um, police called, but for unknown reasons. Um, but it's just really devastating that there, I mean, no one should ever be killed at a traffic, no one should be killed by the police period. But the fact that there are so many problems at traffic stops, and it's also been mentioned, police seem to, and again, not an expert on this, because I'm not a police, police, you know, not in the police force, but I think um, police have been conditioned to think of traffic stops as a a potentially dangerous, volatile situation for them too. So if we're taking, we should take the onus off of them to be responsible for traffic stops. You know, that just should be out when we say, again, kind of returning to this concept of defunding the police. It's really what it really means is like re- reallocating resources and responsibilities so that traffic stops are no longer under the jurisdiction of someone with a gun, um, because it has it, it. the fact that there were that many people killed at traffic stops. Um, this like one one loss of life. <laughs> with this type of a mistake or any type of a mistake or an overreaction is, is unacceptable in this type of, in this type of a society. You cannot minimize, I think the stress. I can't even imagine. I mean, feel like feeling that type of way um, when you get pulled over, you know, and feeling like this could be the end of my life because of because the officer's in a bad mood. They're not feeling like following protocol. They might mistake their taser for their deadly weapon and shoot me in the chest. I mean, uh, yeah. And all of this, like you say, with the backdrop of happening with the Derek Chauvin trial, which um, has been really hard, you know, to hear those details over and over again and just have that happening so i'm thinking of you know the people of of minnesota the greater minneapolis area just
1: really how unfortunate nope. And again, it's like I don't know what it's gonna take to meaningfully change, um, have real, you know, police reform to fund the police. But I hope we can actually get there. And then it's like you know, Biden saying he's gonna wait until all the details are out. Um, you know, let's wait for the investigation. Um, when like I get that that's kind of the president's go-to line. But it's like she she shot him when she thought when she allegedly thought she was tasing him for like you said like not some sort of violent felony and even if it was a violent felony she shouldn't be fucking killing somebody um so it's it's just i wish we could just have someone the person at the top the president saying this is just wrong outright without having to qualify it and wait but Mm -hmm. i get that's that's how it works but it shouldn't be
0: yeah and (laughs) <laughs> sorry one more thing um, the uh, the public citizen on um, or the ethics uh, Twitter account um, reminds reminded us that 98 point three percent of killings by police from 2013 to 2020 have not resulted in officers being charged with a crime so the anger that sort of has, is happening in the 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 protests um come from this sense this this fatigue of feeling like there's no um there's no justice that will actually be found the chances of there being justice in this case um due to the strength of police union contracts and all other things um is very low um and ed burn milia mass shut-in podcast um tweeted Um, if anyone is found rioting, they should be placed on administrative leave pending an internal investigation by other rioters. Um, so I just, um, and then the one thing that I'm going to do later today, I haven't done it yet, but if anyone's kind of looking for, um, uh, hang on, sorry. I just like hit something on my phone that was like, ah, um, Oh, my goodness. I hit I have all these screenshots and I just you know, when your phone does like, okay, there we go. (laughs) I don't know what I did, but it went to like years, not like the day I'm on. Got to find a better system. Um, Darae McKesson um, said that um, I I, I didn't know that Kim um, Potters was she she might be the police union president because he says Anyway, if she was a part of the, if she was the police union president, like that is insane. Um, Haven't fact checked that. But DeRay says, um, if you'd like to help find and code police union contracts, text me. The number is 410-204-2013. He says, we've amassed the largest database to date 700 plus and are working to expand it. And we need more volunteers to help us uh, break their power. Um, And yeah, if Kim Potter was the uh, president of the Brooklyn Center Police Union, Um, which it looks like, you know, looks like she was. That's that's pretty that's another layer. And um, police union contracts um, are pretty uh, contribute to this lack of power from the citizens against the police. And um, so I'll be texting him later. I haven't actually texted yet. So um, if people are interested, um, that might be a way to feel like you're doing something um, helpful towards like, uh, you know, illuminating the data. Um, on police unions, especially as the rest of, you know, unions in this country are are so dramatically weakened from, from what
1: they've been historically. It's a great, it's a great tip. We'll have to, we'll text that number too when I'm on the off work days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something, you know, you can lay in bed and, and work on that, you know, and it would be really helpful. So yeah. Great idea. Great idea. Shall we dive into Matty Boy?
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll just quickly before we get to Matt, we'll um at another time because it feels like it's been so so long since we have had a podcast, even though it's only been the span of a week, um, we'll get into, uh, the presidential, the executive order that created the presidential commission on the Supreme court. Um, we'll get into that in a different episode. And we'll also sort of tackle Biden's, um, his infrastructure plan, which is, you know, has, has a lot of like exciting elements and, you know, the the Supreme court, uh, commission feels like a massive cop-out, but like, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, there's lots of stuff happening. I'm happy that we, I'm happy to see that there's like the rumblings of policy on, on different cylinders. And it would be exciting. Like, I think we texted about this, that the infrastructure bill might be able to be passed by a simple 50-50 vote. Majority. So anyway, stay tuned for that in a future episode. And um yeah. <laughs> well, stay,
1: tuned. stay stay tuned for our hot takes. <laughs> what now? Matt Gates. Uh, web we weave. Um, so I mean the, the big, you know, headline is that he's under investigation, potential, you know, sex trafficking, having sexual relationships with a 17-year-old girl across state lines. Um, and it all and we'll get into more of it. Um, and it all kind of stems from a criminal investigation <laughs> into his buddy and this fucking character, the former Seminole County, Florida tax collector, Joel Greenberg, um, who's been indicted for many things, including this appropriating taxpayer money, sex trafficking minor, uh, bribery, fraud, stalking. And just to like, for a moment about Joel Greenberg, um, the The man behind this, he, the New York Times wrote uh, this piece about him. They said that he's it's like the Tiger King got elected tax collector, which I <laughs> thought was hilarious. Like he, he walked into work with a, pest, a pistol on his hip in a state that does not allow open carry. Um, he pretended to be a cop to pull over a woman and accuse her of speeding. um he, Like I said, there's stalking charges. He stalked a rival candidate and when he, federal agents were, um, you know, grabbing him, they found that he had at least five fake IDs on him. (laughs) He's got 33 federal charges (laughs) against him. Um, and so, and he's, it's looking like he's going to plead guilty and, uh, pretty much give it up on Gates. Um, but I just, I think sometimes they kind of pass over Joel Greenberg and he's, he's, he's a character, um, He's certainly it certainly paints a picture that this is the dude that Matt Gates was partying with. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a vibe. When it comes in. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a very Florida vibe. <laughs> v, v stereotype Florida. Um, so hard. So hard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this man.
0: Um you know, he also seems like a sort of, I mean, aside from just immediately identifying with the Trump Republican wing and being early supporters, both Matt Gaetz and um, this guy, Joel Greenberg, you know, he also was someone who challenged a, you know, a guy who was in, in office as tax collector, again, Joel Greenberg at this moment, not Matt Gaetz yet. Uh, he, you know, challenged Ray Valdez, this tax collector who'd been in office for 28 years, um, and was accused of ethical misconduct. And this guy, Joel Greenberg, you know, primaried him and was like going to be the ethical candidate. Um, and it just seemed like at no point was this person an ethical, um, ethical candidate. I mean, he didn't even, um, it seemed like he didn't fit in when he was younger and like an air academy. And he's um, just, you know, he's always sort of been a rule breaking, I don't know, asshole, for lack of a better word. Um, but to be exploiting his like tax collector. Status, which again, I feel kind of ignorant. I I don't really think of like the tax collector as being an elected position that you just kind of. I mean, what? I don't know. I don't know very much about tax, like the role of tax collector. Um, but I uh, am sort of disgusted that you run to be tax collector. Kind of like when you run to be a judge. It just feels like certain things. Like, can we just elect like nonpartisan qualified? people like, uh, um, I thought it was also gross that like, he, um, pulled over, you know, a woman in 2017, um, while wearing shorts about a backward baseball cap and his tax collector badge. Um, and she said that he yelled at her for supposedly cutting him off and driving quote, like a back bat out of hell. Um, according to a complaint she filed to the sheriff's office. And she, like, there are many complaints that were filed Um, he like wasted more than a million dollars of taxpayer money using credits to purchase body armor and weapons and a drone. Um, he actually also like apparently poorly installed a server to allow for cryptocurrency payments. And then that caused a fire in his office. It's just like, this man is like Wolf of Wall Street on crack on more crack than the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, so Matt Geitz cast his lot in with this guy who has caused fires in his office and also engaged in allegedly sex trafficking. And uh, yeah, the FBI is uh,
1: getting into it. You hadn't into it, and it's been an interesting saga to watch unfold. And different things have come out at different times. And um, at the beginning of all this, um, at the end of March, uh, well, not beginning of all of this. The investigation's been going on for a while, but at the beginning of it really coming to public light. Um, so, Mag Gates goes on Tucker Carlson tonight, um, and like even Tucker Carlson described the interview as weird. <laughs> Um, and Matt gets like denies the allegations and says he's like the victim of this twenty five million dollar extortion plot. Mm-hmm. His father was wearing a wire to help the FBI expose the scam, and just like, and, and the whole time since then he's been claiming like. It's uh, you know, it's a deep state conspiracy against me. They're lying because I'm telling the truth. I'm here for the people of you know, my constituents. He hasn't like done anything like legislatively meaningfully either. So it's like, what uh, if no yes. saying words? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it came out that he showed naked photos of women he said that he'd slept with to like lawmaker, his co- like his colleagues in the House of Representatives, including like a wall on the house floor. Yes. Which also paints a picture of who this guy is. Yeah. Um, you know, he's just, but anytime he's confronted with this, he just says, it's the swamp. They're out to out to get me. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he was being targeted for his support of Donald Trump. And that he was just being sex shamed. Um, and he's been, yeah, he's he's been a real real trump loyalist allegedly asked for a pardon before trump left office um which she denies and my favorite thing is that re- he asked for a meeting with trump recently <laughs> denied that um it's just like oh it's so classic you're so loyal to trump but trump has no loyalty to anyone but himself like you really thought he really thought this was gonna work didn't you
0: i mean yeah. how many chuckleheads are gonna make trump chuckleheads are gonna make that mistake like all
1: of them i guess <laughs> it's ridiculous i don't i mean like it's it's just you're so out of touch with reality if you not only believe in trump in any way but if you believe that he's like got your back yeah um, i i don't i don't think that he he is and <laughs> Like we have, like there is the Venmo Venmo receipt. Yeah, it's um, paying this the accused sex trafficker who then Venmos this teen who like <laughs> referred to as Vintage Ninety Nine, the year she was born, in these texts. Woof. Um, which obviously she's not underage anymore, but she was. I'll you, you. But he's yeah he paid sent like nine hundred dollars in like two different transactions, and one of the transactions was set with the memo hit up and then with the name of of the woman
0: um, oh sex trafficking via venmo so
1: cool like, 2021 uh, my God. The house ethics committee is uh investigating <laughs> the allegations against gates who still like is saying that he's he's innocent um i don't know how that story is going to change when um his buddy pleads guilty and, you know, sells him down the river, but, you know, we'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like there's a pretty good sense that Joel Greenberg is being flipped by the FBI and will be testifying against Matt Gates. And, you know, just a little note, this is a callback from way in ye old 2019. But um, remember when Katie Hill had those <clears throat> um, her nudes n- nude photos were released without her consent by her like toxic, abusive ex-husband. Um, and it ended her, um, she resigned from Congress and it was, uh, she had just won a tough district in California and, you know, it, it was, it was awful. Um, Matt Gaetz defended her. And we all made like these like quippy little jokes that, hey, Matt Gaetz defending Katie Hill means that Matt Gaetz has like a situation going on, you know, because there's no other reason for him to be like, hey, it's, you know, defending like her nude photographs. I mean, it was, he is not an ally to women in any way. So this felt like this was so obviously like, something where he was like, no, let's <laughs> like, it, <laughs> but we all kind of joked about it because again, like at that point, nothing was proven. It just, that was the moment I think, you know, Gates had been committing these like crimes for a couple of years. Um, anyway, I just thought it was like a funny callback and Katie Hill said she thought it was gross to think that he would have defended her to possibly cover up, cover his own ass. But you know, that's of course what he was doing.
1: Of course he wasn't just there for women and there was like a, <laughs> a sex trafficking bill and he was the only one who voted against it, <laughs> oh my God. And it only laughing because it's just like, i know it's like <laughs> matt you see and it's just like he is like i just i know exactly who he is you know it's just like we all know versions of him um just such a smarmy entitled like thinks he's the hottest shit um uh misogynist disgusting yeah it's really awful it's um
0: he's always been another avatar of trump one of those like weeds that um it's going to be really hard to root out the this like post-trump hopefully we're I mean, we're not really post-trump but like post-trump in congress um toxic uh you know everything's a deep fake you know blah 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 I've, Matt have tweeted um CNN is the deep fake. <laughs> um, it's like, great. Um, anyway, you're the puppet. <laughs> you're, you're the puppet. I'm just like scrolling around, like just, I mean, a lot, like what feels like a long time ago, maybe a week ago, someone said, if you had told me Matt Geitz was going to be under a house ethics investigation for sex trafficking, I would have believed you immediately. <laughs> It's like not surprising. It is not, it's not. It's but you know, it is it is really sad and it's very um it's another marking of like where American politics is at. And I I I mean, I know it might seem a little reductive to take like this one asshole in Congress and sort of extrapolate. To a to broader issues but the fact that this man got elected and he's not the only one he's not really an outlier in like American politics at this point there are so many other far-right conservatives who go and stoke this like they stoke you know racist fears just like underlying you know in the American zeitgeist um, and the undermine faith in our institutions by uh promoting trump's big lie um and they just play on like the lowest common denominator of people in the country and that's how they get elected and they help bring everyone further apart you know they're not there's no interest in in compromise this is part of why like when biden Um, who is like absolutely, literally and figuratively from a different era of politics, like wants to bring people together and is trying to come up with bipartisan solutions. He and also like fellow dinosaur, Joe Manchin, who I will get to, um, you know, there's this like fallacy of bipartisanship. And I don't like saying that, you know, because every time I hear some sort of like, Problem from again, like the 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 idea of bipartisanship, this 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 um, like Platonic like ideal of bipartisanship um, is always being promoted by like elderly white men who were familiar with a bipartisanship that only existed when Republicans and Democrats had a lot more in common because they were all just like white men on with like slightly different ideas of what should happen. When you bring everyone to the table um, and there's like a huge mismatch in terms of like the people who are benefiting from oppressive structural inequities and they're still overrepresented, there's going to be some, there's going to, it's going to be harder to get anything that's considered bipartisan because I don't know. They're just too, they, they're, they're not, it's not a compatible, they're not compatible worldviews. Um, and one of them has got to go. One of them is like meant to be in the past for a reason. We're progressing. (laughs) Um, So Matt Gaetz is kind of like one of these people that are, I don't know, a flashpoint that is representative of why we are in the like noxious political stagnant point that we're in and why bipartisanship Joe Manchin is not really like attainable in this moment because because of gerrymandering because of like voter suppression that's been legalized through the supreme court and through different republican state legislatures having more power than the democratic governors and using all these different loopholes to get to measures passed that don't represent people and that make it harder for people to exercise their constitutional right to vote um we have Matt geitz's all over the country in positions of power, and they're allowed to continue, and that will continue until we start dismantling these different levers that are that contribute to systemic oppression in this country. And one of those tools is like this con, this, this patronizing discussion around bipartisanship, which I want us to work together. I would love. I would love for there to be bipartisanship. But what I think of as bipartisanship is like, let's talk about, okay, if you're a Republican and you're concerned about the deficit, which by the way is like a huge lie because there was no talk of the deficit during like Trump's entire presidency. No one gave a shit. And now that- You know, Biden is president. We hear about the deficit because Republicans remember that that's something that apparently they stand for. Um, Anyway, if we were to take that good faith argument and talk about, okay, if you're concerned about the deficit and we want to propose a $2 trillion and that's going to eat up debt for the next 10 years or something, how are we going to pay for it? Like, let's come together and make some compromises. Or, like, you think that the federal government should do this and the state should do this. That's the type of bipartisanship I'm interested in. I think a lot of people would be interested in. But a bipartisanship, which is, which is people having to come together with, with, with toxic trolls like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Guitz. Um That, I don't, I don't know how that really happens. I don't, you know, when there are such morally bankrupt people actually just allowed to occupy office. And at this point, and I forget which podcast or who brought this up, maybe the slate political Gabfest, fest, but it was like talking about how, how shame is like, shamelessness is now so prevalent and it's 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 armor or it's armor against you know with even with cuomo and gavin newsom like shamelessness is something that you can armor yourself with instead of and that is not we can't have a politics where shamelessness prevails and yeah
1: (laughs) no i i i hear you and it's And these and the people that keep like the Republicans that keep getting voted in against people's best interests. It's like, how do we get through to those fucking people? I mean, like you look at like the stimulus bill, for instance, was popular, like bipartisanly. If you look at like the voting electorate, the citizens of the country, um, no Republicans voted for it. And then some Republicans are coming out and like kind of taking credit for it. Mm -hmm. But students don't know any better don't care and then we have you know mitch mcconnell saying no matter what's in the infrastructure bill we no republicans will vote for it which is just like how bad faith can you fucking get A specific especially when you look at the number like people's approval for different points of the infrastructure bill mm-hmm. again republicans and democrats majority like the things that are in it mm-hmm. uh, so it's just like you are so clearly just trying to hold on to power. You're not here to serve the people of the country like you're supposed to be. And it's so transparent. And it's so frustrating that they still get voted in, um, and the the measures that they'll go to to just stay in power. And uh, going back to Maddie for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bring us back in. <laughs> it's, it's the uh, they're investigating now his alleged role in. Planting fake candidates in Florida Senate races. Um, there are two, two races um, where there were just fake Democrat candidates, like mailers sent out with stock, like a stock photo of a woman of color um, in an attempt to split the Democrat vote. Um, and in both of those elections, Republicans won. And it's just like, okay, so you're, you're not interested in winning a fair election. You're just interested in winning by any means. And it's just it's it's so disgusting and it's just like this has become i don't know when it did um as far as i can as long as i can remember it's just been how the the right is operating by and large um any means necessary to stay in power and you know and you look at it's like you look at republicans and the polls that i mentioned and and actually supporting these issues um when you take away you know political language and it's you know i think some people very very sadly will just be single issue voters and be like well i'm not in i'm against abortion so i'm going to just vote for republicans all the time or you know people will just you know be racist or xenophobic and vote republican because of that um but i think there are some people who just who think like oh it's It's better for the economy without actually really challenging that or thinking about what that means or thinking big picture, long term, um, Mm -hmm. what investing in communities looks like and what that payout is, you know, and long term. So I don't know what the answer is to fix (laughs) to fix it, but it's I feel like it would be more reasonable if we had a two party system where the two parties were like progressive, progressive liberals and like moderate Democrats on either end. Mm -hmm. conservative Republicans at this point in this country are um, real, real scary. Right. They're scary. And to the extent that they're representative,
0: they do not represent even close to the majority of people in this country. It's only because of the way that the, you know, we've set up our legislature um, or, you know, we've set up Congress to be somewhere where each state gets two votes in the Senate. Uh, You know, there's this, deep imbalance, Um, it's very um, disturbing. It's also the conservatives, when you look at conservatives in other countries, especially like, you know, in the European Union, the data shows that there's like much, a much better sense of equity and people feel like their votes are represented when it isn't a bicameral or bipartisan, a two-party system. Um, You know, when there are, when there's ranked choice voting, when there's more candidates and then, and then, you know, there's usually some sort of far right nationalist party in these different countries. But most of the time they do not get very many votes because even if people do have a nationalist tendency that tends towards the xenophobic and the problematic in many ways, if there's rank choice voting, you know, maybe they don't rank that person first. They'll rank like someone else or they'll rank their nationalist person first and then the someone else. And it gives people a more nuanced way to express their beliefs. And most people, like most people, when you're not making them choose between two people or two ide- ideologies that they don't find that they connect with, you know, there's, they're, they're not going to feel connected to even what they're voting for. Um, you know, I think a lot of people vote for Matt Guides because they don't understand how to talk about like, you know, LGBTQIA issues and are flustered and frustrated and feel like they're, you know, they're losing their sense of what America is and things are too complicated. And I don't know, I don't understand. Like, let's just, let's just get this like Matt Geitz, who looks like a caricature Barbie doll of the high school villain. Like he looks like the worst, you know, and it just seems like an, an easier way to go. And the way that Trump talks to people, like feels Easier and you know, like this is this, this is that. I'll show you what's what. And it's like, well, actually, part of progress is like we learn more about other people, and we're bringing people in, and things are gnarly and hard to, you know, we have disagreements on our side, but you know, we, we've got to get away from a system which allows people like Mike Matt Geitz to be more than an aberration, you know, more than an outlier. He is not an outlier. Um, So yeah, I mean- You're here. You're here. Um, One more note because I can't help myself. Um, Joe Manchin, who continues to be this like, just problematic democratic figure from a different era represents a state, West Virginia, that is 122nd, 122nd of the population of California and 92% white. And yet he can single-handedly block policies supported by 70 to 80% of Americans. I mean, that was tweeted by Ari Berman uh, a couple days ago and
1: it speaks for itself. No. So it's not right. It's not fair. And we need some overhauling change. Mm -hmm. And now for we see you. Alrighty, so in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, there's a church called Bethel Baptist Church. Um, they had a raffle for a bow fishing trip. I'm not sure what bow fishing is. I do know it is a type of fishing. Uh, <laughs> and a, a young woman, a 27 year old woman, won uh, the raffle to go on this, one of the people who run the raffle to go on this fishing trip. But the, the pastor said that she couldn't go on it because he wanted to avoid false accusations um, and that false accusations Ugh. like of sexual misconduct are so rampant that just, you know, for for the safety of the men on the trip, they, sh- they couldn't allow a woman to, to join, um, which begs the question, why did you let her give money for a raffle ticket if you weren't going to allow her to Go on the trip. Um, And also the fact that, as we've said before, uh, false accusations um, against men, as far as sexual assault goes, are not this commonplace thing. They're incredibly rare. It's no more common than any other type of false reporting. So, you know, with that logic, he probably shouldn't let anyone go on the trip with him because someone could steal his fish or someone could, one of the men could assault him. There's false accusations of assault you know, men, men, just as much as there are false accusations of Mm. saying that men are assaulting them. So it's just a completely transparently Mike Pence vibe of misogyny um, and punishing women because women are coming forward. You know, it's like, I think some men are equivalent, you know, making it the equivalent of, oh, more false accusations are coming to light because more women are coming forward, um, but the reality is the majority of sexual assaults are never reported at all, um, yeah. and more and more are getting reported actual sexual assaults, and this scares men like that and it's like if you don't have anything to be afraid of, if you act you know, respectfully with women, you don't need to ban them from your fishing trip um, so I just thought that was so ridiculous and fucked up and not very um, Jesus like I don't think Jesus would be into you taking her her money for the raffle and not letting her go bow fishing with you yeah um, so I mean I'm sure there are other I doubt that's the only issue with that pastor in that church so maybe maybe this woman and other people that are members of the church will go elsewhere um so we see you to Bethel Baptist Church Chief Louise yeah we see you oh my
0: god uh, dumb <laughs> Um, this is a, we see you just a quick one to Amazon, um, uh, in the wake of Bessemer, Alabama, uh, the union union effort, um, being lost, uh, uh voted down in Bessemer, Alabama. Um, Amazon is notoriously anti-union and they are super open about it, but they used a variety of different, like, threatening techniques that should really be just not legal um, when workers are trying to unionize. Um, They, you know, Amazon says that they often pay more than their peers and they offer healthcare vision and dental benefits, a retirement plan and opportunities for advancement. Um, And they uh, choose to maintain a direct relationship with their managers. Um, And they think that's because they're already offering what unions are requesting. Um, Now that's, of course, not true. I mean, they do offer different benefits that, um, their peers and like their peers don't offer, but like when they're looking at their peers, it's like Amazon really doesn't have a peer. So it's sort of like the peer is maybe Walmart, which yeah, they offer a higher wage than, than Walmart, but let's not be measuring ourselves off of like the exploitation of minimum wage workers across the country at a place like Walmart. Um, the bar's the bar's really low, and um, I don't have the quote on hand, but someone um, made a point of saying that um, with all the wealth that Jeff Bezos personally made over the course of the pandemic thus far, he could have he could have paid each of his workers um, a one-time payment of uh, I think one hundred and five thousand dollars and still come out ahead of ahead and profit personally um, from the pandemic. There is a lot that Amazon could do to make this to like really um, bring their workers up. Um, they continue to, to dispute the uh, uh, reports that people have had to wear, people wear diapers to meet their quotas, to not get dinged on their timing. Um, there have been there've been documentaries about it. There have been podcasts where people get into what, um, how harrowing kind of like being a warehouse worker in a lot of instances actually is, um, where you, you know, and, and how it's, it's not friendly to pregnant women. And, you know, one woman lost her baby a couple of years ago after, you know, having to feel like having to Operate heavy machinery and not having any recourse past her manager, who was unsympathetic. Um, Amazon argues that part of the reason they don't want to unionize is because it would impede their technological advances, which again (laughs) points to me to something. Okay, well, if automation is something that you're thinking, I mean, ideally they'll want a workforce that can be almost entirely automated. So we're not. So you know, not unionizing is going to be also setting things up for Amazon to just fire at will and get rid of these warehouses and put them in, you know, and keep them fully automated. Um, The tactics that they used in Alabama also included putting flyers in the bathrooms and putting huge, um, banners like throughout the workforce. So it was a really like there was just like a really aggressive. um, And then there were these mandatory meetings, these mandatory like anti-union meetings that you had to go to. Um, So and none of that's illegal. We're very like we're just like we've just become gradually a very uh, anti-union country um, and I think. Let me see. I'm just trying. Really striking out on my screenshots today, Um, but uh, um, labor, like union membership, has declined from uh, you know to like I think about six percent today, Um, and. From what it what it was from the '50s, you know, post World War II to the '70s, um, and lawyers for different companies like that represent management um, say that that's because employers have gotten better at addressing workers' needs, and that you know employee, employees have access to the company in order to express concerns they may have, um, but labor leaders point out that wealthy, and this is from the New York times, wealthy, powerful companies have grown much bolder in pressing advantages that labor law affords them. Um, and Walmart was before Amazon, one of those places that, um, drove wages down and decreased benefits across the, uh, retail industry. And that's part of what makes Amazon look better compared to Walmart. Um, and this is all in the wake of, again, like the 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 strong anti-union and defanging of the unions um, that happened kind of over the course of the Reagan Reagan administration and um, you know, all of that deregulation, anti-union movements. Um, so and, you know, unions used to be like another thing that people came together on across race and class um well not class actually at all (laughs) across across race and across sort of um different different barriers that you know because a living wage and a comfortable um a comfortable life was something that everyone could um come together against management um for so anyway um it was just very disappointing to see that the, the the drive to unionize in Bessemer Alabama lost um also, kind of gross that um, one of Obama's former speech um, press people, Jay Carney, is like the spokesperson for Amazon. That just kind of like made me feel icky. So anyway, just like a general super icky. Like we see you to Amazon, and I hope that um, labor leaders have said that they're going to use different tactics. They're going to switch to trying to get a, a you know aggressive PR campaigns and um, walkouts and uh, protests as 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 a form of um, fighting back in other drives to unionize. It's also sort of ridiculous that workers in one place would have to unionize like themselves and not come together on behalf of all workers at Amazon. You know, it's, it's a huge corporation versus like just a few people in in Bessemer, Alabama, like it's, it's a David and Goliath. And so hopefully this isn't the end of it, but we see you.
1: (laughs) We see you. Um, So first lady, Jill Biden um, wore Pattern tights and conservatives were very upset about it. Oh, conservative Twitter was angry. <laughs> um, they were calling the tights trashy, and they called her an embarrassment for wearing them. Oh uh, podcaster Wayne Dupree referred to them as frightening, uh, and said Madonna called and wants her trashy look back. Doc, I mean, at least he called her Doc. Oh, wow! Uh, hello, it's in the world. Um, and of course, you know, supporters of Dr. Biden came to her defense. Uh, regardless, like, I'm here for it. Where do you want to wear? Like, can we please move past the attacking women for what they are wearing? Um, can she just wear some fucking pattern tights and live her, live her life? Um, it's... I mean, this, this need to police women and what they're wearing and how they're presenting themselves and what's trashy and what's not is just, it's 2021. I know the world is a shit, a shit spiral still, but when, will we ever move past this? It's. You know, of course, when Michelle Obama was the first lady, there were plenty of sexist racist um, comments about her appearance. It it doesn't seem to, to end here. Of course, there's not racism with Jill Biden because she's a white woman with white privilege, but there's plenty of misogyny. Um, can we just generally judge people by the content of their character, by their actions, by their words, and not by like what they're choosing to wear on their legs, please? It's... Different it's lazy it's it's bad faith it's just we don't we don't need this anymore um and yeah for people who are like free speech you can say what you want like sure you can but like what does it say about you and your mind if what you choose to do is belittle someone based on what they wear like wow way to go yeah <laughs> you to do it what a what critical thinking you have to be like, I like our tights are trashy <laughs> God Like and I'm not even going to say if you don't have something nice to say Don't say anything at all but Criticize policy Criticize the things that people are saying And doing not come out And criticize a woman because you don't Like her tights like She's she wasn't asking None of us are asking Um, Let her live We see you We see you let her
0: live It's so lazy so so tired so something that Matt Gates would do. <laughs> oh, something he'd do. Um, so Michigan is um, also putting forth, after the success in Georgia, um, some very strict uh, voter suppression pieces of legislation. And one kind of frightening thing, because there's a Republican um, state legislature, and Gretchen Whitmer is a Democratic governor, and she's threatened to veto any of their bullshit. Um, And I don't think that they have a veto-proof majority. However, fun little state loopholes. We love it. Um, Michigan is one of just nine states that allows voters to petition lawmakers to take up a piece of legislation that if passed, the law is not subject to a governor's veto. So um, if the legislature does not pass the bill within 40 days of receiving it, the measure goes before voters in the next statewide ballot. It's a rarely used procedure and it's only... Um it's only been used in nine or lawmakers have only passed nine voter initiated bills since 1968. Um, but this is um, a tactic that the uh, Republican Party of Michigan is uh, planning. They're gonna subsidize this petition to cut um, you know, Governor Whitner out of the lawmaking process here. Um, they would need, what seems like a small amount to me, um, only 10 percent of the the vote in the last governor's election, it would only have to be three hundred and forty thousand forty seven voter signatures. Um, and the bulk of these voter changes would be just more hurdles to absentee voting um, after Trump proposed, uh, you know, after Trump promoted the big lie and continued, you know, to spread misinformation about the non-existent voter fraud and irregularities. Um, and again, this the voter suppression tactics also particularly target Detroit, the state's largest city, which has a majority black population. And again, this is all from reporting from the New York Times. Um, I believe it was yesterday. Um, So hopefully, and it looks like um, what Michigan's trying to do is get um, uh, corporations to speak out against these voting changes earlier, you know, because Georgia was sort of left in the lurch and then in the wake of the actual, you know, of Brian Kemp passing the law, we had like Coca-Cola and Delta being like, wait, oh, we oppose these changes. But it's like, really what needs to happen is things have to happen uh, earlier and corporations need to step in and um, use some of their muscle. I mean, it's sad that we have to like plead with corporations to kind of do the right thing here and pressure Republicans. um, But uh, it does look like there are signatories as of this morning, General Motors, um, different media groups, um, and other like, just some of the bigger companies in Detroit, even though they're not I think Ford, Ford Motor Company, Rocket Mortgage, Quicken Loans, um, GM, but then the rest of them I kind of don't recognize. <laughs> but um, a lot of these people are have signed a letter saying, you know, that they oppose uh, voting law changes that reduce participation in elections. Um, so. Yeah, it's just a it's a we see you to um, this Michigan supporter, uh, Michigan voter suppression um, efforts. I really hope that it it doesn't pass, especially when there are these like ridiculous loopholes state by state that cut, you know, people out of the process who are meant to be a part of the process. Um, You know, it's, it's it's it's. yeah, it's super frustrating, but it makes me want to see what are the other nine states and can we, you know, can we get people to, can we use those lo- loopholes to our advantage in those other nine states? So, you know, maybe, maybe I'll update <laughs> on that next time. Um, so we see you.
1: We see you. All right. So Charlene Yee, um, an actor, you might remember they created and starred in Paper Heart. Um, they were in... Knocked up and some other jet appetite things. So they came out recently to talk about their experience on uh, the film Disaster Artist with you know James Franco and Seth Rogen. And you know when it came to light um, while while filming that there were these sexual misconduct and assault allegations against James Franco, as you may remember. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, there was someone who said that he co- like they were in the car and he pulled out his dick and. You know, didn't physically force, but definitely coerced. She definitely felt forced into giving him oral sex. He had these acting classes where he was accused of sexual misconduct, including an orgy scene where he allegedly uh, removed the um, the plastic covers from women's vaginas during when he was simulating oral sex on, sex on them without their consent, um, asked women who he brought on to his set to take off, like, who volunteers to, you know, get, go topless, and none of them did, and he was physically angry, all, all kinds of things. Um, So Charlene Yee, when this came out, said that, you know, I'm not comfortable being on this film, I don't want to be working with a sexual predator, like, please let me break my contract and, and not do this, like, please. Um And... Seth Rogen, um, who obviously didn't commit these acts, but is being called out as an enabler, um, and is very beloved, but Seth Rogen was basically, just they offered her a bigger role, you know, wanted to keep her quiet. Um, and then Seth Rogen, like to the media was like, you know, I'm friends with the people I'm friends with him and I'm a man. So really my opinion doesn't matter when in reality, it's quite the opposite. If you are mm-hmm. friends with someone who is accused of something like that, credibly, and you are, um, a man, you should be speaking out, men, unfortunately, are more likely to listen to other men when it comes to things like this. So really, he was just doing a complete disservice to the women who came forward. And um, Charlene, you spoke, uh, chose to speak out. Um, as a survivor of sexual assault themselves, and with um, sexual assault and that type of violence being highlighted this week. Um, So I was, I mean, not glad to see it, because it's awful that it happened. But, you know, I think the james franco stuff just and he also like met up with us asked a 17 year old to come to his hotel room after he knew she was 17 mm-hmm. uh, so in calling out matt i feel like you know it's uh worthwhile to recall out james franco for all of that um and and seth rogan as well because it's like enablers can be so 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 damaging just as damaging as the actual perpetrators of sexual violence um I think you and I both have had experiences where friend men coming to the defense of other men, um, in that we thought we were friends with, you know, it it can be really, really hurtful and just, just wrong. And yeah, the, it is the right thing to do for men to come out and speak up. And even if it's your friend, especially if it's your friend, um, so, and of course, Charlene's been getting, you know there have been plenty of people supporting supporting Charlene, but also plenty of attacks in the comments because when people, you know, like Seth Rogan and james frankville who who people like, you know, when it comes forward that these people are are acting this way, you know, people just don't want to hear it. Um, so I really respect charlene for for the bravery and coming forward and speaking about that. and Big fat, we see you to James Franco and Seth Rogen. We see you. Yeah, you know, Seth Rogen sort of
0: had something disappointing recently. I, I don't know how it came up, but it was like he commented, I guess someone, maybe a British British Vogue or a British magazine, when they were talking about his new weed company, they asked him about an incident on, I think the movie This Is The End with Emma Watson, um, who was in it, and I totally forgot she was in it, but that she had they were like, there was a report that Emma Watson stormed off set, you know? And he was like, she didn't, you know, she didn't storm off set. You know, we basically him and the guys that, you know, Jerry, Jay Baruchel and, you know, James Franco and a couple other people, he was like, we kind of were ad-libbing the scene and she hadn't agreed to what was happening, you know? And even though I don't think she was sort of like made a sexual object, it was just sort of like A really weird scene where like, I think, you know, maybe one of them had like a ball gag and was like crawling around. And she was like, I'm, you know, I'm not interested. I I didn't agree to that. That wasn't in the script. And like, I'm uncomfortable. And she felt uncomfortable enough that she had to like, you know, I don't think she stormed off set and Seth Rogan said, you know, in retrospect he would have like he wished he'd done it differently and communicated with her better, but it there you know, you can easily see that looking back there's some of their behavior. I'm so sorry, there's like so much background noise on my end. Hopefully it's not too bad, but they're like literally outside. You know, a lot of this Seth Rogan um James Franco behavior of the early aughts just really didn't really age well and I don't think for Seth Rogen I think I believe him that he's like a good you know like he didn't it so far it doesn't seem like he's had anything really atrocious but there just is this sort of like careless misogyny carelessness that um, I think he should really like reflect on and that he seems to you know not quite have come to terms with yet, especially when it comes to his friends. Um, okay. Super quick. We see you. And especially because there seemed to be like 35 weed walkers, like right outside. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, I was going to do a, we see you to Joe mansion, but I feel like I kind of covered that in my rant. So just a quick, we see you, um, because I was, um, helping a friend move. And I, last week and we drove, uh, through the black Hills of South Dakota and we went to Mount Rushmore. Um, um, and just like a quick, we see you to kind of like Mount Rushmore, which like shouldn't, shouldn't exist. Um, and I, it sort of sucks because it's a, it's a beautiful, stunning architectural feat. It's very cool. in like just going and seeing the four presidents and these four presidents that we, I grow up kind of revering. So it's like, there's just a, a bit of like an Americana flutter that like, I just can't help but feel. Cause it's cool. Um, but it's, stolen land, uh, from the Lakanto tribe. And the Supreme court ruled that it was stolen land. Um, it's not, this isn't like some liberal tier situation that like was stolen. And the Supreme court said it was stolen, but unfortunately, instead of, um, giving the land back as restitution, they said that they could, they would give the Lakanto, um, native Americans, $17.1 million. And so Lecanto were like no just give us our land back and you know Court was like no we we've all been like no South Dakota this is like the only thing people go and see i mean and they go to the black hills and there's other stuff but like this is the main this is on their license plates so this is not rushmore um the architect um was also affiliated with the KKK and he was a part of the stone mountain confederate um, you know, the building of Stone Mountain, uh, the homage to Confederates in the South. Um, and he wanted this to be, um, a, a monument that was basically uncomplicated American exceptionalism. And so he did that. Um, initially the idea was to have, um, some prominent members of the, uh, Native American, uh, of the Lakanto tribe included. And, uh, that, you know, was just changed because this guy was, you know, a racist person. Um, when you look at the museum that's right near Mount Rushmore, they don't um, address any of that at all. There's like swelling patriotic music. It's there's no mention. They're just so that he's a bombastic, that this architect was, quote, bombastic and that he was involved in he was heavily involved in national politics. Anyway, it was um, pretty disappointing to see that and ha- have that lack of complexity. Um there at this monument that I really feel like requires more understanding to know why it's kind of a fraught thing. Because I wish it wasn't. I wish it wasn't. But it just is. It's a problem. So uh, Mount Rushmore, we see ya.
1: <laughs> Been seen. Um, and for our little earthquake, look good thing. Uh, so... The stimulus package was able to pass the bill because it needed uh, 50 votes versus normal 60 votes in the Senate, which would require Republican cooperation. And as Mitch McConnell said for, about the infrastructure bill, none of us are going to vote for it, no matter what's in it. Well, the parliamentarian, the Senate parliamentarian, ruled that uh, we can have not just one more, but several more 50-vote uh, threshold versus 60-vote thresholds for. Um, for budgetary bills like that. So that means the infrastructure bill will be able to pass without any Republicans. And the next couple can do the same, um, which is really exciting because the the thought that, oh my God, we're not going to be able to get any fucking thing done because the Republicans are refusing to participate and do their jobs um, and consider even bills. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And if Biden is still saying like, I think even as of like last night or this morning was still trying to get republicans to like work with him and come across the aisle and like, <laughs> you know negotiate on the infrastructure bill so he's still trying to be bipartisan even though he doesn't need a single fucking one of their votes um, so that's really exciting because <laughs> Uh, the idea that we can act, and again, this the infrastructure bill specifically. Um, Republicans are like Republicans, as in the people who live in the country, uh, not the senators. Uh, they are in support of by a majority on all of the major pieces of the infrastructure bill. So it's something that is to be celebrated because it's, it means that uh, things can get done that are co- that are popular for. You know, among all Americans, uh, without Mitch McConnell and his whole goonies getting in the way, so it's very excited about that.
0: Yeah, me too. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that we might have a little bit, briefly, a representative democracy. A
1: little bit, if we can get Joe Manchin to agree, (laughs) it's a good thing. It is. So, fingers crossed for uh, progress and. Yeah, we'll see what happens. with. I mean, Mitch McConnell, what uh, What if I just want to see him fall from power? Mm.
0: Oh, oh like my God. So much. It's like his king. Yeah. Oh, man. And there's more to say on that at a different time. Like, you know, his like threatening of corporations, which is
1: like. <laughs> yeah, where he's like, you can't interfere. You can't like pull your like, you know, like baseball games out. All corporations can do politically is give money. <laughs> you little fucking weasel. I uh but a
0: an issue for another time, as are many. There's just a whole slew of things, but good to be back. Um, oh, and if you're still listening at this point, um the we will be on um uh we'll be on with boobies and newbies, the podcast, um, later this week talking about a lady's formula for love. Uh, novel. yeah. So that'll be fun. So um, we'll link to it when it comes out. But yeah, if you're interested and want to hear us talk about this romance novel, um, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be switching it up later. So all right, everyone.